On today's show, our guest is Christian Bacusis, call sign Boo. Christian is an ex-Royal Australian Air Force F-18 fighter pilot, and it's my pleasure to have all three services of the Australian Defence Force, Army, Navy, and Air Force represented on the Go All In podcast today. Boo is a super successful business owner, coach, mentor, and industry leader. His grounded and methodical approach to life and gigantic goals will inspire you to know that it's definitely within your grasp to achieve anything you set your mind to, no matter how big that might seem. His career as a fighter pilot in the Air Force set him up for incredible success in business. All of the training, the planning, the teamwork, and the debriefing has transferred nicely into his companies and his life beyond the military. But Boo would say that he's just been lucky. As you might know, you make your own luck, especially in business. And it's only through all of his hard work and dedication to incremental daily growth that he's been able to capitalize on the luck that's presented to him. And in the process, he's built an incredible life for himself and his family. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Christian Bacusis, call sign Boo. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Christian. Welcome to the show, mate. It's great to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Just before we kick off, do I call you Christian or do I call you Boo? Which one? I think Boo's a bit cooler. Look, I think uh, I'm used to my parents or being in trouble, uh, being called Christian. So if we, uh, as long as I'm not in trouble, then Boo's probably work a treat for us today. All right, I'll pull you up with your proper name and I'll keep you as Boo for now. <laughs> exactly. I like to start off the show with all my guests with a quick little get to know you quiz. It helps us warm up a little bit. It calms our nerves down a little bit and it helps us to get to know you in a bit of a rapid fire way. So just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Sure. All right, man. This is in no particular order, by the way, and it's a bit random, just kind of a get to know you. Do you prefer tail draggers or tricycle undercarriage planes? Oh, tail draggers. More fun, right? More fun, more of a challenge. And yeah, it's just that retro cool hipster thing that's just all the rage these days, I suppose. <laughs> now you don't get to tear around the sky and, you know, at a thousand miles an hour anymore. Do you, do you still like to go fast when you fly on a plane or do you want to go a little bit slower and look out the window? It's interesting. We just had this conversation. I've just finished getting all of my flying currencies uh, back up to date with an instructor mate of mine who is also a, a fighter pilot, current fighter pilot, uh, FCI, top gun guru. And we were, we were having this conversation and uh, we were flying quite slowly. And I said to him, look, I still think I'd prefer to hop in something that gets from A to B quickly. So I think once you get the, once you like to go fast, it's a bit hard to get out of that mindset. Nice, nice. Are you early to rise or late to bed? Early to rise. Do you prefer coaching or mentoring? Good question. I think both. I don't really have a preference. I think they both serve a purpose. Uh, it depends on who you're engaged with. Uh, I think mentoring, there's a lot of pleasure in, in mentoring because you're dealing in, in a lot of respects with a, with a blank canvas. But mm -hmm. coaching's also interesting because it's quite complicated in getting an old dog to learn some new tricks. So I think they both present different challenges and they're rewarding in different ways. Nice. They, they seem aligned, but they're actually two completely separate things, aren't they? 
No, they are, absolutely. And I think it's about the dynamic between the two individuals. And, you know, you have a, a coach of a high-performing football team and, and whilst they have a mentorship role, it's not their core role. And mm-hmm. you can sometimes put a high-performance coach into an organisation or into a role of, of mentorship and I guess they can be a little bit too much of a highly, uh, finely tuned machine. You, you don't want someone to learn to drive in a McLaren you really want them to, to hop in and be instructed in a VW Golf or something. So there's definitely a different skill set. There's complementary and there is overlap, but they definitely have to be approached with a different mindset. Nice, nice. Do you prefer writing or speaking? I definitely, you know, obviously as a fighter pilot background, uh, talking by, by a mile, uh, writing through necessity <laughs> and ha- happy to write when required, but definitely a talk, mate. Nice, nice. All right, I'm going to ask you some Rafi... F18 questions here. Do you prefer air-to-air sorties or ground-pounding sorties? I think most fighter pilots are inclined towards air-to-air. Um, it's a bit more of a challenge, a little bit more complicated. It's definitely a, a three-dimensional uh, problem and a more dynamic three-dimensional problem. Uh, moving muds. And I'm sure I'm going to have a lot of F111 and, and strike pilots uh, <laughs> pull me up on this. <laughs> but, yeah, moving mud, straight level, in a dive, drop your bomb and move on. So... Uh, the risk of being controversial for me, I think the air to air was was always the. I love the, it, mate. The divide the audience, the divide as hard as you can. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going to ask you a, a navy question and an army question all in one. Do you prefer maritime strike missions or close air support missions? Well, look, I guess I always felt sorry for the navy in maritime strike oh. because it was a, oh. it was a, it was a bit of a. You know, kind of unfair, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Talking and, about uh, dividing an audience, you're dividing the host, even. and the close air support uh, work with the army is very rewarding Uh, it's quite complicated it's not a blue ocean with a gray ship yeah it's a very complex background and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of artillery and a lot of other coordinated fire going on so again and i think most fighter pilots are applying this way the higher the complexity of the mission in a sadistic kind of way i think that's the mission that (laughs) your average fighter pilot would enjoy to fly so just that sense of achievement once it's done you're normally drenched in sweat and your uh, mission time might be an hour but it feels like it's about five minutes just because the the brain box is working so hard nice nice last one here do you prefer a bvr fight or do you prefer an up close one oh again far more complex being up close and personal so i think bfm or dog fighting, as people know it, is a very rewarding, very difficult. So I think most uh, pilots, again, myself included, would go for a, a BFM mission over a BBR mission. Nice one, mate. Well, thank you for sharing that with us and giving us a little bit of an insight into your thinking as well. Well, people come on over to this podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, Boo, could you please, mate, share with us your biggest go-all-in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Well, I think there's probably two in no particular order. Obviously, the first one is becoming a fighter pilot. So leaving school, uh, I was fortunate to be selected at a very young age. So I joined the Air Force when I had just turned 19. And I started flying Hornets just at the back end of 21 years of age. Uh, So I think in terms of going all in, everyone was always telling me at school, you need to have a backup plan, apply to uni. But I never had a backup plan. I I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, going to give everything to it. I'm not going to be distracted, going to be focused and manage to get through the entire process until uh, becoming a qualified Hornet pilot. Then the second one I would say would just be jumping on a plane and landing in Kabul and setting up my first business 
again, just with no safety net, no knowledge, no experience, and just to start an HR business and turning that into a very successful business over there as well. And subsequently, I think what I've learned from that is most of us create the barrier to success. We don't believe that we can achieve things. And uh, what I've learned over time is nothing is ever as good or as bad as it seems at the time. And your ability to manage your emotional response to things and just keep going, I think, is, is a key to success. And a tool that you learn as a fighter pilot that a lot of people are unable. And you know, we're very lucky. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I've learned so much in my career as a fighter pilot that now transitions into my life. But the key thing is, is situational awareness and ability to explain things succinctly, but also get to the point with someone very quickly. And when you get to the point in a conversation, or a meeting, you're able to action it. And then when you can action it, you can move forward a step. And everything in life is very, very hard. The bigger the destination, the harder it is. But if you can just achieve those small movements on a weekly or daily basis, and then eventually, you know, the last small step is achieving that big life goal. So for me, stay focused and achieve situational awareness and just achieve a little thing every day. Well, I'd love to talk about your Air Force career a little bit because we have a younger audience with the Goalian podcast as well. And there's nothing better for recruiting than a couple of ex-ADF guys. For me, Navy and Army and you, Air Force, maybe a little bit more exciting on your side as a fighter pilot as well, but it's pretty cool as a paratrooper jumping out of planes too. You went in as a direct entry pilot. Is that how you entered the Air Force? That's right, yeah. I was actually turned down while I was at school. I applied to ADFA to the academy. I mean, my, all I wanted to do was be in the military in, in pilot training as fast as possible. And they wouldn't take direct entry straight from school, but they would right. take ADFA and they declined. And they said to me, it doesn't sound like you really want to do a degree. sounds like you just want to fly. I'm like, yeah, pretty mm-hmm. much sums up the situation. And the subsequent year, then I applied for pilot training. I applied for pilot training, Army, Navy and Air Force. And I was fortunate enough to be selected for all three services. But I just wanted to have a punt on the fighter, uh, flying fighter jets. So I chose the Air Force out of those three. Yeah, and it's, without doubt, it's a fantastic career. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. I was medically discharged, so I probably would have stayed with it if I wasn't. But everything about it is fantastic. Every day is different. You work with some of the most forward-leaning, intelligent, and exciting people on the planet. And as you alluded to before, you also get to work with the Army, Navy. You get to work overseas. Everything about it, it's fantastic. Now, it's extremely hard work. It's extremely intense. And uh, I guess that gravitates those sort of personality types. But it's something that anyone can do. I mean, I wasn't gifted at school. I was okay at sport. But the key to success in these environments is motivation and focus and being the sort of person that likes a challenge and and likes to be challenged. So if if you're interested in a career in any branch of the military, I think it's it's a great decision. Yeah, I'd have to echo that loud and clear. That's the military is a fantastic opportunity. And I was fortunate enough to experience two different services, two very, very different jobs. And I wouldn't have it any other way. What an incredible way to grow up as a young bloke, as a rite of passage and find your feet in the world. It's a a really... What else are you going to do? I mean, you've got... We're going to be working in our 70s these days. And for a lot of people, if you join the Air Force as a pilot, it's it's a 13-year commitment. And I think puts people off but from my experience I did 12 years in the Air Force and it really didn't affect my career or ability to derive an income or anything in fact it enhanced my capability to do all of them and since then I've lived a very interesting life since I left the military I've never had a job I've I've been able to create businesses 
and sustain myself just using the skill set that I developed and learned as an aviator in the Air Force. That really does set you up nicely. Tell me, when you, when you decided you're going to have a crack at the Air Force, when you got that offer and the fighter pilot thing was top of mind, how long along the path were you when you realized it was starting to pay off? I mean, heading over to WA to Pierce for that training over there, you need to be at the top of your class. Was it ever an issue not being at the top of the class to be selected? Oh, absolutely. I never felt like I was on top of it. And I always felt like I was just hanging in there. And the system's designed, I think, to make you feel that way. And yeah. interestingly, the guys that did, and the girls that did think they were on top of it and did think that they were all over it, they end up not getting through the course. Right. Because that's very much a, an ego-driven way of thinking. And I say this today in my adult coaching courses, even as a when I was flying tornadoes in the UK and I had been flying fast jets for nearly seven years, you still never feel on top of it. You're always nervous when you get into the aircraft. You're always very respectful of the environment. And I think that's a healthy way to go about life as well. Since then, I've learned about this cognitive illusion called confirmation bias. And all of us, we're always over, 80% of us, we're overconfident. We always believe that we're always going to get the result that we want and everything's easier than it actually is. And, And it's not. And that is a big reason as to why people don't succeed because we underestimate how hard everything is. So to understand that everything is difficult and that's okay and actually the key to happiness and success is achieving all of these small things, then life becomes a lot easier. So I don't think people should be put off in life that things are hard or that they don't feel confident about the situation. You just got to keep your head down and, and just keep going and eventually you get there and your wings at the end of a course, it's an amazing experience. But equally, it's a, an anti-climax because it's just another mission. So it's, you never feel on top of it, and that's okay. Yeah, I, again, I would echo that. It's funny, the, the ADF gives you those feelings and those skill sets. It doesn't really matter what branch you're in or what service you're in. I had that same healthy respect for parachuting. Um, you get pretty good at that stuff after a while, especially free fall. There's still, whenever you strap that parachute onto yourself and you get in an airplane, you go up to altitude in an unpressurized plane, ramp comes open you're about to jump out it's there's still those butterflies in your tummy there's some nervous trepidation you don't want to make a mistake you want to get it right you bring your a game and you know you get on the ground and it it is you're quite right it's a bit of an anti-climax it's like oh yeah i did it let's go and do it again type thing and as soon as you get back up there and go again it's like oh it doesn't matter you know get a couple of hundred under your belt you still have that nervous energy that's there and it's a healthy respect for it i think and it's a matter of just going 1% every time or every day, just improve 1% incrementally. Is that how you approach those things as well, with just an incremental progression? Oh, absolutely. And just the reality that there's only so much your brain can handle or take in any, in any day. And I think one of the other challenges for people is they try and do too much and they get confused around what priority they need to focus on. And before they know it, a year, another year of their life's over. And it's that sense of, gosh, I was, I was busy and tired, but what did I really achieve? Not yeah. much at all. So I think that ability to reflect and debrief on, on each day equip you with that one percenter mentality. And there's that old saying of the relentless game of inches, and that is life. It's the small things. And having a mindset which is geared towards learning something every day and saying, well, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I can learn something. And with Google now and the internet is such a fabulous opportunity for people to keep learning that that healthy nervousness and and respect for everything that we do and that i can do it better means that you know life remains interesting you're always learning something new and if, if that's not a nice way to live a life i don't know what is 
Yeah, totally, totally agree with that. And I, I find I don't necessarily learn from having to sit down and read something. I learn from speaking to people like yourself. I learn from helping customers and delivering services. And I, the thing that I think I learn the most from is making mistakes. Oh, making mistakes is fundamental. And we're geared to make mistakes. That's, that's our default position. Uh, success is very fleeting. But the key to getting to, those, to that fleeting success is to learn something from every mistake that you make. We don't even have that language in, in the Air Force. We know that making mistakes is so fundamental to what we do. We call it good things that happen and other things that happen. Uh, <laughs> and we always want the good things to happen. And if something else happens, well, let's learn from it. We don't sit there and say, you made a mistake or you failed on that mission. We don't even have the word uh, fail in our um, assessment. It's just not up to standard. And I think that's a mindset that business struggles to grasp, that people take a perverse enjoyment out of someone else's failure. Or, I mean, not, not all organisations, but there's a degree of people have experienced negative feedback from a failure in life. And as such, they're uncomfortable sharing that or learning from it in, inside a group. And that's, that's unfortunate because by having a supportive peer group, which is what we had in a fighter squadron or anywhere in the Air Force, through that supportive peer group and being able to admit to those mistakes is how everyone learns, not just yourself. And you would understand being a, in a parachute unit is a very high-performing organisation. If you didn't have that culture, you would, you would not have many paratroopers left. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Tell me, as you accelerated from a PC-9 into a Hawk, what was it like learning to fly a fast jet with all of that extra thrust and power? That must have been fun. Well, I was pretty old school, so I, I moved up into a Mackie, uh, a Mackie which was, <laughs> which is a similar. Yeah, there's not too much of a difference in performance. Same transition, though, right? flew, It is a same transition, and and I flew Hawks in the UK as part of my transition over there, and they're, they're quite similar. Just mm-hmm. obviously, a Hawk has lots of computer screens in there and a little bit more reliable. So uh, you know, it's not really a big jump, and again, it goes back to what we said before. That, that everything is incremental, so. The PC-9 is a fairly uh, quick piece of equipment anyway. And when you fly your first jet ride, it's just a very basic flight, which is up, down, left, right. This is what happens when you go fast, slow. It's, it's still an aeroplane. You know, mm-hmm. In World War II, the pilots that used to ferry the aircraft around, I mean, they, they would fly 15 different aircraft types in a, in a month. And one would be a four-engine bomber and the other would be a single-engine Mustang. So the concepts of flying... Once that's embedded in your mind, you just apply those concepts to different platforms. And, and even the first time you, you fly a Hornet, I mean, it's fun, but it's not a huge leap as it is for someone who's never been in a Hornet before. And we take them up on a passenger ride and, and off they go. And, and it feels like it's something from another world. <laughs> um, and that's the key. It's, and again, Air Force are becoming a bit of a mantra in this podcast. The ability to break down something big, exciting and confronting into those incremental steps is the key to success. Mm-hmm. I love it. How many hours did you have in an F-18 before you went solo? Oh, I think I have about four. Really? Um, not many. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's not really, uh, you do a lot of uh, flight time in, in the sim. And, and today with the JSF, for example, it doesn't have a two-seat aircraft. So your first mission is, is a single-seat mission. How many hours do they have in the sim before they do that? Probably 10, 12, something like that? More? Oh, they have, yeah, they have, have around 10 or 12. But it's, so back in the old days, back when the, the Sabre, the F-86 Sabre, for example, mm-hmm. uh, those pilots as well, their first mission was in a single-seat Sabre. Mm-hmm. Um, jet aircraft, newly minted pilot, and then you'd be uh, learning to fly that solo, then off to Korea, and uh, away you go. 
And off, off you go. Off you go. Tell me, the Hornet has an incredible BVR capability, but getting up close in that, in a scrap up close in a furball, what's it like against a, a Viper or an Eagle? Is the Hornet superior to that? Or tell me what that's like. Yeah, it's, it's like different boxes coming into the ring. Some have more reach, some have faster footwork. Others have a, a strong hook or an uppercut. Every aircraft has its strength and a weakness. And the objective of a, of a BFM mission is to position your aircraft when you enter into that fight in the optimum flight envelope to exploit your strength over the other aircraft's weakness. And for a Hornet, it was very good at flying slowly and, and have what we call nose authority, which means we could get slow and point the nose very quickly to get a weapon solution on an aircraft. F-15 is designed to fly for a long time. And it's got a bigger radar. It's designed for, for BVR. And a Viper is designed to be fast. And it, it doesn't like to get slow. So you can imagine a Viper's trying to keep a Hornet fast. Hornet's trying to get a Viper slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, it's a ballet. And depending on how well the pilot performs with the aircraft, then that's where you're going to get your outcome. Now today, to some degree, that's less of an issue because we yeah. have helmet-mounted sights and weapons that can shoot around corners. So it becomes uh, less of an issue. But the same problem remains. The technology only gets you to a, a certain level. And from there, it's, it's all dependent on the skill of the pilot. Yeah, it always comes back to the operator, doesn't it? And the operator's ability to get on top of it, to remain ahead of it, and to actually utilize it to its full capability and its limitation, right? Absolutely. And again, it's, it mimics life. If you've got any job and you don't know how to do it well or you haven't completed all the, the work to understand the procedures, the way that you interact with the people around you, if you're unable to understand the system implicitly, you're not going to get the best out of it. Mm-hmm. So you never really answered me directly there. Did, does the Hornet eat up a Viper and an Eagle or is it, is it just all a, a mismatch of different things? What, what, what had been your experience? I think... Put a great pilot and a bad aircraft, the bad aircraft will win. So I think it's one of those scenarios where you can't actually say one is better than the other because they all have their their strengths and their weaknesses. They all have the same uh, tech in terms of the uh, computer and and, and systems behind it. And again, I guess in some respects, if there's one thing that happens to fighter pilots and, and fighter aircraft is you inevitably end up slow and your energy ends up depleted in a fight. So on that basis, you'd probably lean towards a Hornet because if you're going to end up there anyway, you may as well have an aircraft that is optimised to perform in that part of the envelope. You ever go up against any Russian hardware? Is that, like, is that diplomatic enough for you? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're playing both sides of it and that's that's kind of okay. I'm interested. You ever go up <laughs> against any of the, the Malaysian MiG-29s or when you're in Europe against any of the European stuff there? Yeah, I, I did fly. I flew against a lot of MiGs, both in uh, Malaysia as well as in... The UK, I flew up against some uh, SU-27s for real in an intercept awesome. in the UK awesome. as part of our QRA over there mm-hmm. as they were protecting a bear, doing some intelligence stuff over a, a maritime exercise. Uh, so, yeah, I had the opportunity to fly against lots of different types of aircraft. Again, it's a lot of fun. There's, there's nothing like rocking up at a merge in your aircraft and it's like, oh, I've never seen one of those before. Let's go. And all of a sudden your poor old brain gets overloaded because it's trying to figure out the best way <laughs> in which to optimize your performance against as much as you know about that other aircraft. What happens when you're forming up on an SU-27 and a bear? That must, you must have flashbacks to pictures that you saw in a book when you were a kid. Yeah, I think it's fun though. You That's know, it's, most of the guys that fly these things, they're not really involved in the politics. So everyone has a, has a bit of a wave and a, a bit of a laugh and, Everyone tries to jockey uh, for position. So, yeah, it's, everyone takes a photo, obviously. So it's very much a, 
uh, boys and their toys kind of situation, you know, and it is fun and it, it is for real. And it's always when you're in a military unit, it's always nice to go and do a mission that is a tactical or a real operational mission as well. Yeah, you spend a lot of time training and doing that. You know, I can remember as a sailor when you guys would come out on a cap screen for us and do protection. You know, you'd be a long way in front of our ships and, you know, running combat air patrols for the enemy coming at us. And likewise, as a soldier, I can remember having RAF assets above my head on operations a couple of times. Air power is like an unbelievable thing. And to a grunt on the ground or a sailor on the ship, it's like good to know that we've got these incredible assets on our side. And particularly as an infantry soldier, I can remember being in Timor looking up and seeing F-111s flying overhead thinking, you know what, no matter what happens, no matter what scrap that we get into on the ground here, that thing is there and that thing is going to kick ass and take down names no matter what. What did that feel like for you? Did you were you ever cognizant of that responsibility that you had to sailors and soldiers? Oh, definitely. It's a very powerful tool and they're very intimidating. And, and we often, we would use the aircraft as a, to intimidate, you would just fly low, fast and loud because that does make the hair on the back of the enemy's neck stand up. And as sure you would does. know, as a trip on the ground, when your Hornet flies over that you're not expecting it, it gives you a fright and you know that if that's the aircraft and it's, and it's got weapons on it, if something goes down, you're, you're not going to know about it till it's all over. So I think being a fighter pilot, more so than any other role in the military, and again, why I think, why I moved into strategic advisory at the highest level of organisations is because we're one of the few professions where we have to think strategically given how quickly we move around the battle space mm-hmm. and we have to build our plans but also we have to execute. So if we were a mining site, we're not only are we the CEO of the mine, we actually have to drive the mining truck as well. And when you have to work on the tools and come up with the plan, you understand how difficult it is for people to get things done. So you're naturally able to create really simple strategies to, to go out and execute. So so in, the, in battle, whether you're supporting uh, troops or training against troops, you do have a, a, an awareness of the impact you are going to have. Because when you drop 4,000 pounds of an explosive, you know that creates an effect on the ground beyond just the kinetic effects of the weapon hitting the dirt or the target. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, Boo, I'm, I'm so glad we've got the hardware that we have and I'm so glad that we have the trained and skilled people like yourself on our side, mate, because somebody on the ground or on a, on a warship particularly is, you, you know, when, when I think about it on the ground, you feel like as an infantry soldier, you feel like you got a little bit more control on a warship. As you say, you, you felt sorry for us because we're sitting ducks and <laughs> the capability has increased incredibly on both sides in the last couple of years, as you would well know, just in terms of range and standoff ranges and all that type of thing. But that said... Well, we've, we've acquired an air warfare destroyer. So I think, I think yeah. also uh, government, Navy realise that you do need specialised assets that are, that are equipped to deal with that sort of threat, which is a quantum leap in capability. Isn't it what, compared to the FFGs that I was on, that's a, a giant leap. Tell me, mate, I, I've seen a lot in the last couple of years, as you would well know, that the RAAF and the Australian Defence Force in general has been deployed a lot. And I see it on TV and as an ex-serving member like yourself, I find myself looking on with a little bit of envy sometimes. And I see these soldiers kicking indoors overseas and these fighter pilots, you know, getting after it over there in, in the Middle East. And I, I feel incredibly proud of them. and when they're downrange, I, I can't help but watch these news reports. And I find, it's a bit funny, I find myself after the news report 
go get them boys get them and i find myself unconsciously like cheering them on like that come on you know like go get them because i know what it feels like to be down range like that what does it feel like for you to see your mates and and your colleagues and stuff down range and how do you feel about that i think you're just incredibly proud of everyone i, I think we're a very competent force we're small we all know each other mm. uh, so when you see what we do on the ground i think the only feeling you can explain clearly is pride overarching and then yeah there's all the mixed emotions of wish wish i was over there helping but i think overall yeah i think we definitely punch above our weight in the adf we really do have the best kit and equipment and as far as anyone in the service is, is concerned no matter how good the equipment is it's never good enough but we do have really good kit and equipment and yeah of course we have the politics and we have all the other stuff that goes with any organization but i think at the end of the day our ability to just go out there and get the job done is is second to none yeah, I would second that and agree with that. And that's the cheering part, I think, because I know that that happens. And I'm like, go get him. I know you're going to do it. Go, 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 go. And there's not many negative things that you hear about it coming back because that's because we're winning on the battlefield, which is what it's designed to do. No, I agree. And I, and I think also it's obviously no one wants to be at, at war. Things have gone bad when, when that happens. But, but when it does happen, you sort of want to get it over with as quickly and, and painlessly as possible. And I think one of the issues in today's world and in the media is it's always the negative voice that gets a lot of the attention and for me what I try and do as much as I can is just to influence people and say look it really is a fabulous career you do some incredible things it's very purposeful you are defending a way of life and you're defending a, a nation so I think it's important as well just for people to know that there's a lot of fantastic elements about it whilst you're serving and also once you leave yeah absolutely no question about that at all I just want to shift gears and talk about your business a little bit if I can boo Afterburner, Australia, New Zealand, very, very successful company. Tell me about the gaps that you guys plug in the corporate world. It goes back to that strategic to tactical uh, mindset. So on the one hand, we just have a lot of fun. So we work with organizations on their annual events and we try and be as interactive as possible and we present the world and the life of a fighter pilot. We clearly need to poke some fun at Top Gun during that because <laughs> it's, a, it's a movie about fighter pilots, not a documentary series. So we try and give people the insight into the, into the real world of fighter pilots. And we share that gift that we have of having $10 million invested in us to learn how to do our job. Uh, and we learn that the world is very complex and really the only way to succeed at a rate that is well beyond uh, business or the average human being is through great training, but that ability to maintain uh, situational awareness. So when we work with organizations, our key role is to help an organization clearly define its strategy to create situational awareness for everyone in the organization. So every day when they're executing their job, they're doing it in a way that adds value, not only to the organization, but to themselves. So they feel valuable inside that organization. Nice one. Tell me about the flex philosophy. So flex is just a tool. So again, we don't come in and just tell people, Hey, do this, do that. And talk conceptually about all the things that need to be done. We equip them with the tool to do it. It's, goes back to a saying we have in the, in the Air Force, which is more how. If we're trying to explain to somebody how to improve or do the job, we don't want to tell them what they need to do. We want to try and explain in more detail how they can do that. And that goes back to that mentoring and coaching role. Uh, the way that flex has been applied in organization is very different. Some organizations have an issue with mentoring their or getting engagement between the more experienced people in the organization and the younger ones. Some organizations have a very specific target they're trying to achieve. Other organizations are trying to implement cultural change. Others are in a bit of a funk. They've had a bad year and they want to try and develop a strategy to get out of it. So the flex methodology 
it's just a, at first instance, it's a mindset, which is don't think of your organization as changing and that's going to ever finish. It's always changing. So change is the default position. Uh, two, when you're going to create this situational awareness, you can only do it using four steps. Build a really simple plan. It doesn't have to be perfect, but at least it's a general plan. Communicate that plan to everyone who's involved in executing it and make sure they understand exactly what they need to do. Go out and execute it and maintain a focus. Today in the digital world, we're so distracted. We're unable to just focus on one task until it's complete. And finally, debrief. Sit down and look at your performance each and every day in a completely objective manner. And the purpose of these plans is to create something, a destination, and the debrief is to say, well, how are we going with that destination? And a lot of people don't like planning. It's the reason why so many people put their IKEA flat packs together without reading the instructions and find that they've got two screws left at the end. (laughs) We're not naturally inclined to build a plan. There's no movies out there about Captain America building a plan to stop the situations that he finds himself in. We love to see superheroes sitting around waiting for an emergency and then ripping off their clothes, putting on their Superman outfit and going to save the day. That is, we are conditioned to be superheroes and to deal with bad situations. We are not naturally inclined to stop a bad situation from happening. No one gets a pat on the back when they get their job done. It's just not human nature. So what we try and create is we say, well, let's help Captain America achieve a vision, which is we never need him again. And when he achieves that, let's make sure that as an organization, we give him a pat on the back so he feels rewarded. So that's what, that's what we try and overcome in, inside organizations. Get away from a reactive mindset and get yourself into a proactive mindset. Nice one. What's your favorite part about delivering training and that type of stuff to corporates? But seeing them achieve their goals and having people come back and go, I did what you explained, Boo, and it worked and we achieved something and that hasn't happened for three years. Oh, and that's nice. why, for me, Afterburn as a hobby, I already have a number of businesses that, that I uh, manage and own. So the beauty of Afterburner for me is it's very fulfilling and very purposeful and we affect change. We, based on the phone calls we had over three years, we put it all together and we believe we've influenced the market in Australia by over $340 million, either in new sales generated or wow. cost saved as a result of implementing Flex. Fantastic. So it really, really works, right? That's really awesome and well done. Kudos to you guys for doing that at, at school. Tell me about some of your other businesses. I know that you're the owner of Australian Aviation, Aviator and a couple of other publications. Tell us a little bit about those. Well, again, just being lucky. I think when we talk about superheroes, sometimes I think I've, I've got a superpower, which is luck. And, you, and that's that, and I really, really appreciate having that. So the magazines just came up for a sale last year and, and I thought, well, what a fantastic opportunity Uh, to get back into aviation because I've been out of aviation for 12 years since I left the Air Force. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was very attractive to me. And and also it was a new challenge because I'd never been a publisher before. And I had started to develop an understanding of digital marketing. And I thought, well, I can enhance my digital marketing skills and put them into a traditional publishing role and and see what happened. And fortunately for us, it's been a fabulous result. We've tripled our online community. We've doubled our sales we've increased our readership substantially and whilst it's early days we're having a lot of fun and i've got a great team wonderful people and we're moving in the right direction so that's very exciting and i get to talk about aircraft all day which is for a pilot that's pretty much living the dream as they say (laughs) australian aviation is a super iconic brand in the aviation community here in australia how does that feel to be at the helm of that it's it's very much a custodial role Uh, it's the magazine clicked over 40 years last year 
And for me, it's a very much a, a case of this is something that will be here after I've gone. So I just want to make sure that what we hand over to the next owner or the next operator is in the best condition possible and it continues to advocate for aviation. And, and I think one of the things that I was a bit disappointed about when I got on, on board Australian Aviation was the amount of negativity in, in aviation in Australia at the moment. And one of the key commitments we've made is to be a positive force in aviation and bring all the positive elements of it together. So we've started to to very much advocate women in aviation, to get youth re-engaged in aviation and to increase the positive side of, of the industry. And one of the elements there, when you actually do your research, one of the, whilst the career stream as a pilot, and inevitably when you talk aviation, you know, people start at the pilot side, is this perception that paying conditions have, have eroded drastically since the good old days 20 years ago and whilst there's truth in that pay scales have probably come back in line with what's more reasonable with other industries uh, the actual conditions of a pilot are still better than most career streams you compare it to the career of a lawyer and an airline pilot actually over their whole career earns ten thousand dollars more a year than, than a lawyer does so, you know, over 50 years that's that's a big difference mm-hmm. uh, or 40 years that's a big difference so for us i think we want to start to de- debunking the myths surround aviation and and again can't get the fighter pilot dna out of me i only i love dealing with facts and being as objective as possible and statistics so we're working towards presenting all of those in a way that advocates positively for aviation whether it's airports air traffic control or a pilot the entire industry is a fabulous industry to be involved in it's dynamic it's full of interesting people and we just want to make sure that that message is getting out there as well as all the other tech jobs and everything else that uh, are competing for young people today. Well, that's great, mate. There's nothing better than reading a feel-good news story. And if you've got a publication full of feel-good stuff, that's only going to be a positive thing for that business. Where do you see the, the print landscape evolving to in the next couple of years? Is it still going to be relevant or is it going to become less relevant? What, what's your view on that? There's some interesting statistics on print media. I think what's happened is if you're involved in news or you're, you're reporting on things that are happening in print, that era is gone. Uh, that consumable news information is very much digital. But if you're looking at presenting a story or some insights on why something is news or how something works or profiling an individual, and we're very uh, proactive now about getting the human face of aviation out there you can capture that in video and, and in YouTube and there's an element of that, but there's just still something about a high quality magazine sitting on the deck with a cup of coffee that is an experience. And what we're finding is in is people are coming back to magazines. They just have to be good ones. They have to be quality a magazines, well-written, good photographs, and the magazine itself has to feel like a quality item. And, and I think as a result of us redesigning the entire magazine, to make it more experiential is where we're seeing an upsurge in our circulation and engagement. So I think, I think the future is bright for, for print, but it's just got to be quality publications. It's funny you describe it. That's exactly what happens to me when Australian Aviation arrives in my letterbox once a month. I resubscribe to it recently. So I'm one of your new resubscribers and I'd unsubscribed from that a long time ago and I've been part of it for many years and then got off and then got back on when I found out that it had been acquired and, and I hadn't met you at that point anyway i came in my letterbox pulled it out i'm like oh that's old school i've got a magazine in the mail that's kind of cool i can remember pulling the plastic off sitting down with a cup of coffee reading a magazine and probably read about half of it in one sitting like that and you're quite right that 
my experience of it was exactly as what you intended. So there's a little bit of feedback there for you as well, is that it does feel like it's real quality. I can tell that it's different. The photography is different. The reports are different. And uh, because I've been reading that magazine my whole life. So it's and it's done. nice to get off a digital device to consume yes. some information as well. Yeah, um, totally. And, and I guess what we're saying is, hey, we, we represent an entire aviation community. So what we're going to do, the, the effort and work we're going to make is to go out and find stuff that you can't access. You know, we Clearly, an A380 pilot can't talk to 32,000 people at once about what it's like to do their job. So let us do that on your behalf. Mm-hmm. And we'll try and deliver that story in the most consumable way possible so that's really what we've undertaken is is to deliver that aviation experience on behalf of our fantastic community yeah that's wonderful and it's my pleasure to help you amplify that message as well because i'm a i'm a huge fan as well so keep doing what you're doing mate it's fantastic i really love it so it's great well done awesome appreciate that feedback so the boo that i uh i'm talking to now is the guy that i know who was the boo 12 months ago how have you changed in the last year always changing that's the key, mate. Always change. There's no such thing as constant. Always change. Uh, so I think 12 months ago, I was probably starting to twiddle my thumbs a bit. And my family and friends keep saying, you work too hard. You need to take a step back. But I always find every time I get to that location, in a, in an, get to that position in an organization, I always find myself getting uh, itchy feet again. And I think what I've learned, I've learned over time is there's a lot of different type of personality types. And some people are builders and creators and other people are operators and growers. You know, they're, there's farmers, there's warriors. We all have a slightly different mindset. And I find for me, I like to create a company from nothing. So I like to found a business or take a business and take it to the next level. And that for me is a, is a real challenge. And again, I think it just comes back to as a 19 year old, you're conditioned to you have no skills, no ability to fly an airplane. And for, you go through a three year process. And at the end, you're flying an F-18 and unpicking that puzzle and, and completing all the tasks is highly rewarding. So I think what happens is you decide, well, without trying, but you don't even make a decision. You, you naturally find things that replicate that process, which is, okay, well, our goal is to be you know, the best magazine in the region. And then globally, well, our plan is to take the magazine globally as just aviation magazine next year and do all the activities and, and solve all the problems and challenges to get to that destination. For me, I think that's just in, in my DNA. I, I enjoy that, that challenge of creating something or growing it. Well, it's a very worthwhile thing and it's a legacy project as well. As you say, as the custodian of that, you're going to have a hold of that for only a period of time before you hand it off to somebody else. So it's really great that you've got so much passion behind it. And it sounds like an exciting 12 months ahead as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've got some pretty exciting things on the on the horizon. We're definitely enhancing our digital capability, launched a new website a couple of Weeks ago, uh, we're integrating a retail experience into that. And we're trying to, again, just build a digital landscape that caters to everyone in aviation and keeps them informed, but it also allows them to facilitate and transact on everything they need to maintain current or take themselves to the next level inside aviation. So that's a big part of our transformation uh, as much as uh, now that we just acquired Aviator, uh, bringing that along for the journey as well to have a the highest quality regional uh, pilot and aviation trade magazine, which is, uh, again, another challenge and, and I think an area where we can just bring insights to that community in just a slightly different way. Fantastic, mate. Well, you don't do anything that's easy, that's for sure, because those are giant tasks and very, very difficult, that's for sure. So keep working away, mate. I know it's going to 
pay off for you in the end and, and be really fantastic. Tell me, I want to shift gears here. If, if Boo could go back to the 17-year-old Christian and say to him with two minutes of his time, what, what would you say? What would you say to the 17-year-old self? And you only had a couple of minutes to say it. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> it's not as bad as it seems. <laughs> yeah, everything's going to be okay. You know, it's funny. I think being anxious and having those feelings, though, are a key part to being successful. I think if you're too comfortable and you're you're not concerned, I think that's a key part of our motivation. I think we're designed to have an extreme. We're supposed to have some anxiety and some stress, and we know that you need to have that. You're on the peak stress graph. That's all part of your human factors training. You don't want to be under-aroused or over-aroused. You want to try and operate in that peak stress. Yeah, but as a young person, you have no concept of that. You really do. You pop out of school, you're just bouncing around. And why the military is good is it just gives you a, a structured path that's all about execution, getting things done, which is a great skill set. So whilst I would say everything's going to be okay, I wouldn't want to make myself be too comfortable as I'd be probably more inclined to become lazy and spend too much time at the bar or sitting uh, by the pool on a lounge chair. <laughs> which is kind of also fun too as a young boat. Yeah, but it's much more fun when you earn it. I think when you have it all the time, I don't think that's a good thing to awesome, have. Awesome. Well, with a couple of businesses, a busy family life and, and whatnot, tell me what are your daily non-negotiables that, that you use to keep yourself sharp and focused and bring in your A-game every day? One of the things I'm careful about is I don't black and white my life, so I try not to create an environment where I say no or I'm, I'm overly structured. Because that way, when something happens that I'm not expecting, I'm able to deal with it a lot more. It's a scenario where, okay, that's that's okay. But for me, a couple of sacrosancts for me, and um, I am divorced and I, I get to spend every Thursday and every second week with my kids. So a rule for me is I always pick up my kids on a Thursday afternoon from school. And I plan everything around that. If I can't, uh, then my partner does. But for me, you've always got to have a priority and, you, and your priority for me and my purpose for living is, is to support my family. So that's my uh, non-negotiable. Um, beyond that, I think I'm, I'm fairly flexible. But I'll also, I won't suffer a conversation with someone who hasn't come to me with a clear destination to where they want to be. If someone wants to engage me in a, in a rolling conversation, it's just about stuff. I'm not very tolerant in those scenarios. I'll gently say, look, why don't you go away? Just have a think about where the destination is that you're trying to get to. And if you're not sure, then I'm happy to invest in time to get there. I can't just come and ah for the next hour and spitball things and have a, have a conversation in, in circles. So I think also for me, I, I do like people that have a destination or are working towards something. But part of my life now is to help people that, that can't do that get there. But in between that, if you're not trying to create a destination or you, you don't have one that you're trying to get to, yeah, that's, I guess, an area where I start to get a little bit frustrated. And because I'm so busy, I don't have a lot of time to invest in that. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. And thank you, Boo, for coming on the Go All In podcast and sharing your stories and your philosophies and your view of life as well, mate. We really appreciate that. Where can people find out more about you and your businesses? Well, they could go buy a magazine and become a member of Australian Aviation. We're moving from a subscription model to becoming a member of our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that obviously keeps them informed and I, I do shape some of that in the way that I view aviation. I, Afterburner, afterburner.com.au is where I live in my transformational space. So that's helping people and individuals get where they uh, want to get to. And if you need a hotel, you can go stay in uh, my company's hotel over in Perth, which is uh, Pepper's King Square. So, And if it's a defence problem, we, we also have a defence business called Felix and, and Felix is all about 
creating the integration between all the different technology and services we focus on. How can the Commonwealth and industry work together to deliver the best integrated outcomes that enhance everyone in the ADF, not just an individual service or an individual piece of technology? Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes so people can find you nice and easy. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Go All In podcast, please hit the subscribe button in iTunes and on your favorite podcasting app as well. And if this is your first time listening to the Go All In podcast, well, what a treat. You get to listen to an F-18 pilot and get all these contact details. That's pretty cool. And if you're a repeat offender, we love you. Thank you for coming back. We'd appreciate it if you could leave us a review at some point as well, because that helps a boatload too well that's it for this show thanks very much boo for coming on we really appreciate your time mate and look forward to catching up with you again soon bye for now